0: Good evening. Thank you for coming back this evening. It's been a wonderful Sabbath day. Now the sun has set and it's time for our evening meeting. But we're just so thankful that so many of you have stayed by for our evening meeting because this is one of the most important of our meetings. This is one of the meetings where we're going to stress our young people and uh, many of the projects that they have been doing. But I wanted to let you know that Eddie, who just finished doing our song service, and Michelle, as he mentioned, they're from a medical school in Ensenada. And did you know that there are 45 Seventh-day Adventist students at that school? And um, about, oh, I guess about a year ago or so, I had to go down and give a talk in Tecate, Mexico, for a large group of Adventists there that were in the health field. And what am I supposed to do? I have to prepare all of my talks and give them in Spanish and things like that. I found Eddie. It's a wonderful thing to have connections around the the world. Mark Finley told me just this last year that we have over 8,000 medical students in schools around the world, not counting La Melinda. Isn't that fantastic? And so if we can get all of these students interested in doing evangelism in their own country or in their own part of the world, what a army we will have. It won't be just that we have to plan everything from here and go out there, but we're going to have an amazing army. Many of these young students do not have any connection that much with the church in general. And so through ASI and through AMEN, we're attempting to make some of those connections. Tonight we have a a really exciting uh, group of stories. We have a few mission stories, we have some music, and then at the end, uh, Dr. Richard Hart and students from Loma Linda are going to be telling us some of the exciting things that Loma Linda is doing because they have been working on a number of projects and they have had the mission spirit at Loma Linda for many, many years. So tonight we're going to start out Uh, with our mission report from Brian Gallant.
1: Well, good evening. It's a privilege to be here. I'd like to just pause and pray for a moment. Would that be okay? Let's bow our heads. O Lord God Almighty, we bow and worship you. We pray now that you will take these thoughts, these reports, these words, and may you speak to us deeply. Father, you have raised us up as a prophetic people to give a powerful message to the world. And Father, I know that your heart still longs for that message to go to nearly one-fourth of your children. So please, Father, speak and touch lives and challenge us, I pray, through Christ, amen. I'd like to just share with you a few things of what God is doing amongst Muslims here in the North American division. I'd like to ask you a few questions, some of them might be challenging, thought-provoking, but in the time we have this evening, I hope that it moves you to a new place, some new thoughts. How many of you actually believe that God wants Muslims to find Christ as that great ladder and savior of the world that connects them to the Father? Do you believe that? How many of you actually believe that Muslims need the three angels' messages so that they're not deceived in these final days? then which church do you think is uniquely situated to give those two messages? That'd be only us, right? The two points there, the three messages, yes. That'd be us, right? So now the question is, what are we doing about it? What are you doing about it? How are you choosing to intentionally reach out to Muslims, 1.3 billion people in the world, That's what I want you to consider a few things this evening. Muslim work has been greatly misunderstood around the country and around the world, so I want to let people know right from the very beginning some principles. The Bible is the final authority and foundation of all truth. I want them to know that right from the very beginning, the work that we do across Adventist-Muslim relations in the division and with the quiet hour that I represent both, The work is based on the full picture of the great controversy as described in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and all the Adventist teachings connected with that. And our goal is to call people, all people, into a state of conversion and being part of the final remnant when Jesus returns. That is what our purpose is in reaching out to Muslims. Would you agree with all of those things? Now, obviously... There's lots of discussion about various methods. These are things that have come from the spirit of prophecy in the Bible very quickly. God's already working. We join him, mingle with people. We are called to actually be people that lift up truth, that recenter pieces of truth, grabbing them from wherever they happen to be, surrounded by superstition and error, and pull them into a larger framework of truth. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're called to do as well, we're told in evangelism. The Bible says to test all things, hold that which is true. And the good news is not the bad news about something else. We are called to be people of truth. A few more things, actually, when you're working with Muslims, let God be the one that guides the timing. We need to be called to stand on common truth. And Ellen White specifically says that when you go to work in areas of great prejudice, and I would suggest there's a bit of that between Christians and Muslims for a few centuries, she says, actually, do not stand on distinctive beliefs, but agree in every possible way that you can build a relationship and then allow for God to guide those things. Don't be there to satisfy theological curiosity and do not be argumentative, which is a challenge because both Muslims and Adventists love to argue. So these are things we've been told to do. Now I realize Islam is a very complex issue and I'm using our time going forward. I believe our message should be different than any other group. And we need to be sharing that. I believe that if we claim to be children of the kingdom we should be responding differently than children of the world. And so if some of your views of Islam are informed by people that don't even see the Sabbath in the Bible, you may want to reassess some things. When we look at Muslims, we should come away with a different understanding because we have a different picture of the Bible as well. Something to consider. Everything I'm about to say in these things when I do training programs around the country is biblically sound, though it is very uncommon. I'll give you a simple example. You're all very intelligent people. How many of you think I'm crazy if I say that's true? Good, we have some sharp computer people. Those of you who thought I was crazy, sorry, I'm an un- unemployed mathematics teacher. But the reality is, 3 in base 10, which you're used to, is what you're aware of all the time. 1, 1 in base 2 actually is numerically equivalent to 3. But if you thought it said 3 equals 11, you're thinking, I'm crazy, and that's why I don't teach math anymore. But the truth is, a lot of the contradictions that people see between Islam And other things, it may very well be that they're looking at different worldviews, and we need to go a lot deeper. And so it looks like a superficial contradiction may not be actually at all. We need to be a people of integrity. Everything we say should be biblically sound and defensible. We don't need to be quoting and responding to the various polemic arguments, and we need to be following the spirit of prophecy principles that we have as a people. So in light of all those things, let me share with you some things that God has been doing. I recently had a conversation in Atlanta with some Muslim leaders. They happened to ask me what I did, and I shared that I try to bridge the gap between Muslims and Adventists, calling them both deeper in their faith in preparation for the return of Jesus Christ. They looked at me and said, that's great. What's an Adventist? Now, those of you in Loma Linda, the Muslims might know a lot about Adventists, but the rest of the world doesn't. They looked at me and said, what's an Adventist? And normally I might have said, we don't eat pork, we don't drink alcohol, and that's already building a huge bridge. But that day God impressed me to share four distinctive beliefs of our our belief, our church. The state of the dead, the Sabbath, the sanctuary message, and the vindication of God's character, and the three angels' messages and the call to be ready for the return of Jesus. Only I didn't share that from the Bible. I shared it from with a Quranic worldview that they could understand and resonate with. It opened up two and a half hours of more Bible questions, more and more, saying, what what do we do? How do we be ready for these things? We never knew you guys existed. And then he asked me a question. He said, one of our writers has told us in the last days that there would rise up a group of people that would call the world to the essence of true faith, and that we should join with them. And then he looked at me, and he said, could Seventh-day Adventists be that group Now here's some questions to consider. Should we? Are we? Do Muslims actually know it? Or do we sound just like the average evangelical? Or do we sound like maybe other major speakers that see nothing but evil within Islam and there'd be no relationship to even bother seeing the good? These are some serious questions. God is doing some exciting things in Atlanta. We have a small group of people that are reaching out, Adventists and Muslims together, even studying together. We've been recently been doing health expos for Muslims in Muslim neighborhoods. We have invitations to go to mosques. We were just invited to go to the Islamic Society of North America, which is a yearly gathering of 30 to 40,000 Muslims, where we had the chance to do a health expo right there for them. God was doing some fantastic things. And the conversations and the relationships that were built throughout that conversation and the time there opening their mind as well and opening the Adventist minds to the possibilities of what we offer to them as a people. Just a few pictures here. Taking the health education resources, eight natural steps similar to the New Start idea, and adjusting them so that they would not be immediately offensive to Muslims, any of the particular items like that. And building relationships and watching God break down walls. I'd like to challenge you that as we have the invitation possibly to go back again at Washington, D.C. on July 4th. If you'd like to be immersed in a world of 40,000 Muslims, get in contact with me. Be part of it as well. There are, they, they have a magazine that goes around the country. Notice what it says here. Adventists who eschew alcohol focus on providing social services and education have a clear concept of monotheism. We do worship one God. The Bible does say that. And promote traditional family values have much in common with Muslims. This is a Muslim article, the largest Muslim organization in the country. The Adventists who came out strongly for Muslim and Arab civil rights in post-911 America have built major institutions to serve the sick and diseases. At the same time, however, their concern is to see that individual and social wellness should also promote the spiritual aspect of health and well-being. Their health projects overseas, most of them in countries with large Muslim populations, and it carries on. Muslims are talking about you in a positive light. Are you talking about them in a positive light? Have you learned ways to build relationships? Have you learned common truths following the spirit of prophecy principles so that you can actually connect as a fellow spiritual person and build a relationship that might affect their eternal life? These are some serious questions for us to wrestle with. So, I'm calling you to please be a part of God's call to 1.3 billion people that, in many ways, we've somewhat ignored. And since 911, they are the people that people love to hate. Fear and misunderstanding and prejudice are blocking deep, genuine relationships. And there's a work that we can do here. Ellen White talks about how God brings immigrants to our country that we may reach them and touch the world. Saudi Arabia sends 50,000 students to the United States of America every year to study. What are we doing to reach out to them? They haven't come only for an education, they're witnessing as well. And in the medical profession, you rub shoulders with Muslims all the time. So I'd like to encourage you to prayerfully consider maybe learning some more, talking with me, having a training program for your medical institution and for groups of people. There are so many built-in bridges and wonderful opportunities to connect heart-to-heart with Muslims. And we have a powerful message. They need to know that in Christ there is assurance of salvation. And they need to be saved from the deception of these final days. And only we can give that message. So join with me in being a part of that. Obviously, it's a no-brainer. But raising support for what most people consider to be the enemies of America is quite a challenge. And yet I'm being more and more convinced That the fact that our country did not go into economic insolvency recently may be the grace and the mercy of God for us to do a lot more specifically to reach out to people that we've been ignoring. So join with me in a very tangible way in being a blessing, supporting this work around the North American Division, supporting the work in Detroit, the work in Atlanta, in New York, in Toronto, and work all around the world so that we can share this end-time message with God's children that haven't heard it yet. Every time I speak, I'm looking for three types of people. Some of you, maybe all three. The first person is just someone that needs to have the misinformation fixed and changed and educated by a biblical, great controversy worldview. The second person is maybe someone that wants to say, yes, Brian, I'm willing to go and serve this group of people that we have not been reaching out to openly. I'd love to talk more with you. I'll be here tonight. I leave, unfortunately, early in the morning. And the third group of people in this very room right here are people that can say, I want to see Jesus return. I want to see the gospel go to the people that have yet to hear a clear representation of the character of God. I want to put the resources that God has made me a steward of to the work of finishing this work. So those are the three people. I just encourage you, please join me in doing something that, maybe you've never thought of, come and talk with me. I'll be at the quiet hour booth after this meeting, and I'll stay as long as you need. God is doing some exciting things. Let's join with
2: him. Let's pray. Father God, your word's not mine. These things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's easy to feel... It's easy to feel good about the mission trips that we do. You know, we we pound our chests and we we kind of proudly say we saw this many patients, we did these many treatments. But I would I would um, challenge us to to think maybe we need to feel a little bit bad. Um, that we need to cry for our patients. We need to. We need to wonder if we dealt any significant um, long-lasting blows after we left. That we weren't around to manage the M&Ms and the complications that we leave behind. Um, I'm talking, of course, about short-term me- medical missionary work. But I'll tell you what, um, that's just a little little nugget. Um, something to think about. I'm so happy that I followed... That previous Muslim presentation, because that's where we went this year. That's where we went last year. That's where my heart kind of calls. Um, I, I've thought to myself often. I've sat down because you know we, we go halfway around the world and we see these patients that are Muslim, and and um, you know in a Muslim country you can't quite preach Christ outrightly. Um, so these Muslim brothers and sisters are looking at you. Like, okay, all right, you're, you're providing free care for us. That's, that's nice. What are you up to? What do you want? What are you trying to do? I know, we, we know you're Christian, but... Because like, I'm thinking to myself, um, when was the last time you... Maybe they exist, I don't know of them, but when was the last time you heard of a Muslim travel halfway around the world to provide medical missionary work to convert, eventually, people... And so, to them, it must be a, 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 an anomaly, you know, that we're going over there, we're providing this care, but we're not quite standing up to preach Christ. And so, um, the challenge is, is far-reaching, cannot be short-term um, when you when you bring care to a medic, to a, a Muslim country. But um, I want to tell you a little bit. I'll tell you right now. I'm going to go over. All right. I hope you're not upset with me, but I'm going to give a brief intro, and then I have two videos that we worked very hard. Uh, uh, We lost a lot of sleep uh, preparing my wife. I got a new MacBook Pro, and this thing does wonders for slide presentations, so I had to take advantage of that. Plus, um, uh, Curtis Farnham and Creators Call uh, uh, Media has prepared a video that I absolutely have to share with you. Um, about our effort in Bangladesh. Um, the original plan was to go to British Guyana. I was in my second or third year of, of uh, residency, and uh, Paul Yu, who was a dental student, kept pounding on my back every time he saw me, and he goes, hey, we got to go to British Guyana. Are you with me? British Guyana. I'm like, yeah, just keep bothering me about it. I love mission work. I love this stuff. I mean, it to me, it is uh, so much more fulfilling than a fat paycheck, which I've never received. But I can only imagine it's so fulfilling when people, when people who who can't pay you back a dime for what you do are so thankful. I mean, they bring you a pot of soup. They, anything they got, they, they borrow just to show you their appreciation for what you've done. I love this, you know. And, and so um, I said, yeah, 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 fine. Yeah, no problem. That was April, March you know, April, May, June, and then at the beginning of July, we go to Advent Hope Sabbath School at University Church, and we're sitting there uh, at a presentation by a Dr. Paul Mascala, who is um, uh, from, he's an appointed ADRA dentist in Bangladesh. And this guy is a modern-day Paul. He's sitting in the face of, of government that is constantly threatening him, um, because, you know, at first, when he, when he feels the heat from the government that's coming down on him for baptizing individuals he backs off immediately and he starts this is a health expo health health and all of a sudden he feels the oppressors back off and so he showed us miracles that are happening in Bangladesh and and all these one and 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 we were you know up to that up to that point Paul and I and, and a group we wanted to arrange this trip to British Guyana and we just sat and we looked at each other when we saw these miracles and we we said, this guy's by himself. We got to go support. We got to support this guy. And so the trip changed to Bangladesh. Last year we went. It was beautiful. This year we went back. Um, and there's something to be said about consistency. Same spot. Same middle of nowhere. And we're starting to see glimpses. We're start, in, in just one week, every time we go... Um this is a brief synopsis of our trip about a month and a half ago. Time constraints do not allow us to see the other video but I um and I apologize for that. Um but I encourage you to look it up on YouTube. It would be under Bangladesh 2008 promotion or promo video. Um We feel like we've started something uh, in Bangladesh, and um, some of it has to do with the inspiration that we receive at Amen Conference, those who went uh, last year and this year. So um, pray for us, and, um, you know, we expect to see big things um, in the 1040 window. Um, Thank you.
0: We so wish we could give everybody an hour to tell your experiences. The experiences this weekend have been just fantastic. You know, one of the things that I, I just came back from another meeting, the APHA, I'm sure a few of you may have gone to that down in San Diego. And I accidentally, really truly accidentally, dropped in on a um, session about missions that I just thought was another medical group mission thing. And it it turned out it was a group of chiropractors at the APHA, I didn't even know they were there, but they were, and they were talking about how important it is not to just go on a mission trip, but to keep going back to the same place, that these short-term mission trips are really kind of not that great for the people. You come and you give medicine or you do something, and then if you never go back, you know how good is that? So I think that to be involved with a mission trip where you do have a purpose and you continue to go back, even if it's twice a year or once a year, the people can kind of count on somebody cares and is going to come back. That's what I really like about uh, what Dr. Hart has been doing uh, through their outreach with the Adventist Health International and with the medical students and dental students at Loma Linda. And we have invited him tonight uh, to come up here and tell us what has been happening with Loma Linda, the students, the long-term mission projects, um, the deferred mission pro- programs, and just whatever he'd like to do with the students that, or others that he has brought with him tonight. So the rest of the evening is yours, Dr. Hart. Thank you so much for coming.
3: It's good to be here with you. Uh, as I look around the audience, and I see a lot of years and a lot of commitment, and a lot of experience from many different countries. Tonight, I'd like to primarily have some of our current students in Lomeland to share what's happening. The various programs continue to carry on. The DMA program deferred admission appointee program for, med- for medical students and dental students now has 68 students in residence in it. We've just recently started another program, what's called Global Service Scholarship, which is basically a matching program for all the other schools of Loma Linda. So if you're a nursing student or public health student or allied health or something else, there's a program there as well that'll help to amortize your debt while you go to serve abroad because debt's often the things that hold people back the most. Loma Linda's been going for over 100 years. Uh, Feels like I've been there most of that time. But I think I can truly say that during the time, during the last uh, 10, 20 years, the sense of commitment to serving the world needs continues to escalate. And I think there's more of a palpable sense of it on our campus now than even before. So this evening, we'd like to share three different uh, perspectives with you. Uh, and I've invited some of our students to come do that. We're going to start off with Jonathan Thorpe. Jonathan is a second year medical student, president of an organization on campus called MIG, uh, Mission Interest Group, and he's going to share a little bit of the perspective for him and what that
4: has meant at Loma Linda. Jonathan? Thank you, Dr. Hart, and it's uh, been awesome to be here this evening and throughout the day with you folks here. I honestly wish I could have been to previous AMEN conferences, and I hope in the future that I can attend others. I want to briefly start off with sharing a bit of my own personal testimony on how I ended up here at Loma Linda very quickly. My parents work for the church, and many of you may recognize the name Thorpe, connected with Hope Channel, and I've had a privilege to travel throughout the world and see many different countries and live in a few of them. In Tanzania in 2001, I was in grade 10, and we were there with uh, Elder uh, who who's having uh, a satellite campaign, satellite series there. I was helping out with the TV production during the day, or in the evening, but during the day I had the opportunity once or twice to go over and see a team of medical and dental people working on the other side of the stadium. And that experience never left my mind. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I came back uh, to North America, finished up high school thinking, praying, Lord, what do you want me to do in my life so that I can continue to serve you? And I had interest in engineering, in video, and other things, and I kept on coming back to the thought of that one experience there in Tanzania. Started at CUC, and uh, in my third year, started the application process to a couple different schools, one being University of Alberta in uh, Canada, where I'm from, and Loma Linda University. And I said, Lord... Let me be accepted at the one you want me to go to. Well, the good Lord opens up doors in more ways than you can expect because I was accepted at both. And I was like, Lord, you can't do this to me because I I asked you specifically to close one door and open the other one because, I mean, it's a difference about $80,000 to go to Canada, go to school, and, of course, you can pay off debts a lot faster and get overseas and serve in that capacity." Well, both doors opened, and I ended up coming down for a weekend, visited some of my friends, and my dad was in on a trip. And I remember to this day where I was on the campus green there, just near the Good Samaritan Chapel it a statue. It was the graduation weekend, and I was sitting on a chair there, and I just said, Lord, just help me to know where I need to be. I came back after the weekend. And I got back home, and I opened the mail Sunday night, and I found a letter from U of A. said, you have to have $1,000 the next night, by Monday night, 5 o'clock, to confirm your seat. I'm like, oh my goodness, I wanted another at least two or three weeks to make up my mind. Well, that wasn't going to be the case. The next day, I hiked up on the mountain behind where we live, and I started praying, and I started reading the Bible, and took, uh, I can't remember, one of uh, Mrs. White's books up there with me, and I said, Lord, I need your help. I feel I could go either spot. I know you can use me wherever I go, but I want to be where you want me to be. And I walked down that hill, and as I was praying, I said, Lord, by the time I get back to the house, I want you to impress on my mind where I need to be. And I kid you not, that was an experience that I don't think will probably happen too many more times in my life because I honestly think that God spoke to me coming down that hill and said, I want you to be in Loma Linda. I didn't completely know why, and I, I'm still experiencing those reasons to this day, but I'll just share one experience briefly. And that was the second day of freshman ward experience up on the pediatric neurology team in the med center there. And to be with the wonderful Christian physician, we came into a room where there was a, a patient who was, unfortunately, brain dead. And he was needing to do the, a final exam on the patient. And he, there was a Bible open at the end of the bed. And he opened the, or the Bible was laying open there. And he picked up the Bible and gave the most meaningful testimony to this family. They knew that they were going to have to withdraw support. And it was being, when I saw that testimony, a physician actually picking up the Bible, sharing text, having prayer with the family, I said, I've made the right decision. I went home and called my dad, and dad, I said, it's worth every penny of the $80,000 or whatever it is to come to this school. And missions can take many different forms, as you well know. I'm probably one of the least, most inexperienced persons in this room, but That is just one form in the patient's room here in North America. And it's exciting to be able to be on a campus where international missions is such a focus. And as Dr. Hart mentioned, I have the privilege of leading out in the mission interest group this year. It's an exciting thing. There is, as he mentioned, there is an excitement on campus about missions. And I have only been here for two years, so I can't speak for more than that. But I can really feel amongst the students, among all the schools on campus, there is such an excitement about international missions. It's, It's wonderful. I'm reminded of a text in John, John chapter 20, verse 21, where it talks about the fact that, as the Father sent him, so I send you. And that's kind of the, uh, the key text that we've taken as a group and said, Lord, help us to prepare now so that we can serve even better tomorrow. We're working closely with the SIMS office, Students for International Mission Service. Uh, they have some fantastic uh, opportunities for students on campus. We're, just, we're working uh, through various lunchtime uh, seminars, uh, meetings. We had Dr. Saunders this, just this last week uh, share with us. And... Dr. Giebel, uh, when he was here a few weeks ago, and really good turnout from uh, multiple different schools on campus. It's just exciting to be able to be with these fellow students that really have a desire for missions. And I know you're going to hear a little bit more from Malawi and from uh, the Haiti trips here uh, in just a few minutes. And there is just such an excitement that I am so glad that I can be part of. And I know that my story is similar to many other students here on this campus to why we are at Loma Linda. Thank you, Jonathan.
3: As some of you know, my roots are in Africa years ago. When I used to work in Tanzania, there were probably 20 to 25 Loma Linda graduates serving across the continent of Africa. Because of the church funding policy and debt amortization, when I added that number up about four or five years ago now, it was down to three Loma Linda physicians in all of Africa. That's scary. We've been able to successfully change the general conference policy, to successfully change the debt amortization thing, and the pipeline is now starting to fill up rapidly. We're now up to eight uh, physicians, and I don't know how many, probably about five or six dentists from Loma Linda, now serving in Africa, and the number is going to continue to grow. One of the most important things I think I can do at Loma Linda is to get out of the student's way. Uh, because the energy that's there keeps on uh, pushing in many different directions. And I'd like to ask Amy a pigging to come forward. Amy uh, started off in medicine, did her first two years, stepped out to do a master's degree, and now is back in her third year of medicine. And Amy, a couple, what, a year and a half ago or so as a student association officer, started us down a track of a major project in the country of Malawi that I'm going to ask her to speak about. Uh, And I'm going to steal a little bit of her thunder uh, because Thursday morning at 7 o'clock, we had, I think, a very historic conference call at Loma Linda in which we had, were connected with all of the Adventist colleges in North America and announced plans to have a joint mission trip for all the colleges together, coordinated by Loma Linda and AHI, out to Malawi this coming summer. This will be the first time we've tried to do something together for the entire college system in North America. Uh, And some of the credit for that goes to Amy and some of the vision that she articulated. So Amy, tell us a little bit about what's happening in Malawi.
5: Well, I'm not quite sure where to start. You know how you get along in a project and it's like it seems that it's so far along that you can't remember the beginnings. But from what I can recall, we were sitting there as newly elected um, loose officers or the Student Association at Loma Linda. And we were trying to figure out a way that we could unite the campus of Loma Linda. Loma well, Linda University is a little bit different than the other campuses as far as uh, the US colleges just because there's so many different schools and they all have their own schedules. It's very much segmented and so the students don't feel like they ever know each other or know the other schools. And so we as the student association, we're trying to find a way in which we could bring the campus together and unite them. And there were some different ideas going around and the idea of a mission project came up. And Never having attempted this before, we didn't know quite where to start. And so we emailed Dr. Hart, and of course he was all too eager to hand us a project and say, well, I just got back from Malamudo. The hospital is in trouble. They're going through some financial struggles. And um, I'm not quite sure what to do about it, so I'll just give it to you students, and you figure out what you want to do, and we'll try to pick up the pieces. (laughs) So we... From there, um, we just kind of started throwing everything at it. You know, like when you're not experienced, you don't know what to do, so you just do everything, and you just try to make up for your lack of experience with energy. So that's what we did, <laughs> and we started doing fundraisers and letters and anything that anybody came up with, we, we did. Some were failures, and some were successes, um, but all in all, we saw more and more students getting together and being interested in helping out with mission projects. And it was very unique because I don't think any other campus could do this as far as Adventist colleges in the U.S. But because Loma Linda has, like, the public health school and the dental school and the medical school and the pharmacy, they each have their own unique... Talents that they could pull together and together work on different projects like writing grants We had a group come together to write grants and because that they were all from different angles and had different Perspectives on things they put together you know a beautiful letter of inquiry that we've been using to send out to the different um, Foundations that can fund projects at Malamulo so from there We went to a I guess you could say like a convention between all the student associations of the US Adventist colleges. It's called AIA. It used to be quite active and it's um, kind of dropped in activity over the last maybe 15, 20 years. And wouldn't you know, but we get there at the conference and they were looking for a way to unite all the Adventist colleges and we thought, hmm, this sounds familiar. That's just what we were trying to do at Loma Linda University. and Um, While we were there, one of the SA officers at Southern came up with the idea, well, why don't we do a mission project? And that will unite all the schools. So they kind of started bouncing around a few ideas, and then they heard that Loma Linda had been running a mission project, and so they came to us asking us, hey, would you be willing to present the project and see if it's something that the colleges want to do? So at the very last meeting, all of the essay officers for all the colleges were there and try running parliamentary process. <laughs> you have, you know, um, a couple hundred essay officers from all the colleges and they all want their opinions heard. And so they all have their opinions about mission projects and, and how it should be done and where it should be done and what not. So all in all, we did the presentation and it was very unique, it was one of those instances where you can you can feel the spiritual battle and the spiritual tension in the room. And once we presented the project, you could kind of hear the the group starting to talk amongst themselves. And it was very much divided. There was a lot of students that came up and had some serious issues and questions about how we would do this and what we would do and could Malamulu really use that much money? And um, And all in all, though, um, we got to the very last moment when they were supposed to vote. And up until that moment, it had been very much divided, even more leaning towards opposing, taking on a mission project and the Malamulo project. And yet when it came down to it, as each name of the college was called out, they said, all in favor of the project. And immediately, I mean, it was just this overwhelming sense of purpose all of a sudden for the Adventist colleges. Because all of a sudden, we had all the Adventist colleges pulling together to try to save a foreign mission campus. And it's been unique to see all the colleges pulling together at this point and seeing how they work together in order to do the fundraising. Because each college has their own dynamics. They all have their own personalities for their student body. And so they're all doing their own separate thing. And yet they've got their blogs going on and all their social networking that I don't understand. But, you know, they're all communicating and telling each other, well, well, we did this on our campus and this is how we did it and this is how much we raised. And we have right now a goal for all the colleges to raise $100,000 between all of them. And so how that works out is each college is committed to raising 8500 And Southern is already pretty much at their goal. And it's not even Thanksgiving yet. <laughs> and um, Union is very active. And Canadian University is, is coming right along. And Loma Linda has been doing some different activities. And so it's just really neat to see all of the, U- the U.S. Adventist colleges coming together to try to save some of the mission campuses, the foreign mission campuses that are struggling. And you know, when we have such historic places like Malamulo, this is the generation that needs to come together and do that. You know, It's the younger generation that needs to step up and start taking our responsibility for the mission places. So um, I think I just kind of talked and I'm not quite sure if there's anything specific that I was supposed to be telling you.
3: You did it, Amy. Thank you. if this can work, and I hope it really can, where we can unify all the campuses around some common projects and then each year move on to another country of the world uh, so that we can gradually acquaint uh, many of our young people with all the different opportunities and needs that are out there. Our final group this evening, I, as I'm thinking back, I think it was probably about a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer, I was sitting minding my own business in my office. Uh, and the president of the freshman class in medicine came in to see me, uh, Dan Westerdahl, and says, you know, we've got an idea we're dreaming about. Uh, We're looking for a project we can take on as a class. Uh, That's the first time I would had that kind of a request, so we we started brainstorming, and over the next uh, few months, why those plans gelled. And I'm delighted to have the class of 2010 uh, the juniors now, uh, come forward and share that with us, and uh, why don't you all come up. David Puder, Sarah Allen, Christy Ramirez, and Dan Westerball tell us a little bit about what's happening in Haiti.
6: Well, uh, thank you for, again, letting us be here with you tonight, and I I better set this story straight. Actually, uh, David Puder was our uh, freshman class president, and he leaned over and he's like, you better set that story straight really quickly. (laughs) So I actually uh, got to serve as our freshman uh, class pastor and then got to serve as our class president the second year. And uh, I have to say um, what an honor it is to be here representing the class of 2010. Um, This is one of the most incredible group of people I've ever been uh, privileged to be a part of. And it really is an honor to be in a room with like-minded individuals that are passionate and committed to following what God has put on their hearts and and listening to his voice and and doing, regardless of what it is, what God has called us to do. Um, One of the most important decisions I ever made was to come to Loma Linda for medical school. Um, I will never regret this decision ever in my life because I've been changed by the group of people that I've met. And... um, it was just an incredible experience to get to know my classmates. I didn't know anybody coming into Loma Linda. And uh, when I came to school here, I found just an incredible group of people that had a real passion for the Lord and a passion for doing what God has called them to do. And so uh, as we navigated that first year of medicine, we we came to the end of our first year, and many of our classmates went out overseas to many different places. And uh, as David uh, and I both have a privilege of working from an officer's standpoint, as the Class members came back, they started sharing their stories from overseas, and we said, you know what, we've got to do something. We have had these incredible experiences. We as a class have got to come together and do something that unites us, that makes a difference somewhere, because there's so many spots overseas that could really use our help. And uh, everyone wanted to throw in their ideas, and we started praying about where it is that we should get involved. And we met with Dr. Hart, and uh, as we prayed about it, we ultimately decided that Haiti was the place that God was calling us to. And uh, as we taught, we, we decided that we wanted a class project that would accomplish three major things. The first goal of our class project would be it would be a project that you would unite our class around service. God has called each one of us to service, and um, we wanted to have something that would unite us as a class long term, not only while we're there at Loma Linda, but throughout our careers, all over the world that we go, all over the states that we may practice, something that would keep us united around the purpose of why we went into medicine was to serve our fellow human being. We had over 100 classmates sign up to be a part of this project, Um, and they they signed their name. They committed to actively be a part of it uh, and raising funds for this class project, and so it was exciting to see over 100 people come united together around one goal. The second thing that we wanted to do was expose as many classmates as possible to missions, because as you know, missions is contagious. When you get out there and you experience the mission field, you come back with passion and fire and commitment to do something. You see a bigger picture of what God has called us to do. And so uh, a goal for our class was to get as many of our classmates exposed to missions as possible. We are doing that by setting up a fourth year elective. Um, As we go into our fourth year of medicine, we have elective periods and, uh, and we're looking to basically have two members of our class on a continual basis in the hospital in Haiti. We've already taken a short-term mission trip over there. You're gonna hear about that from a couple of our classmates. But we are committed to um, staying with this, this project, getting as many of our classmates exposed to missions as possible, and hopefully, uh, throughout our careers, be able to go back to this mission hospital in Haiti and make a difference there. The third thing that we wanted to do with our project was to allow God to do what only God can do. We serve an amazing God. We serve a powerful God. And when you are willing to come and give your time, your energy, and your, your talents to him, he will do amazing things for you. So we decided as a class that we would set a goal of $100,000, that we would establish an endowment for this hospital. Um, So we'll raise $100,000 while we're in med school, and that will establish a fund that we can continue to contribute to throughout our careers, to make this hospital not only a, a place for mission work, but a place that will transform to train other people that live there, that are close by, to train other missionaries to go to other places, to help this hospital become the life transforming center that it was first called to be. And so it's exciting to see what God is doing there. We're already over a third of our way there. A little over $30,000 have been raised. And uh, we're excited about what God's going to do. We know that he's going to do amazing things. And uh, it's just, it's exciting to be a part of it. I want to introduce you to a few of my classmates and let them share their stories with you. Because each one of us has been transformed in different and powerful ways through missions. And I want to let Christine share her story.
7: OK, I'm just going to talk to you briefly about what we did in Haiti this summer. Um, about 20 of us went down with some friends and family members, including a vascular surgeon, ophthalmologist, anesthesiologist, and um, a student from the School of Public Health. Um, while we were there, we did a needs assessment. Uh, it was exhaustive. It was intense. And it was very eye-opening. Um, we also worked with, we did some painting. We did some building. We ran an ophthalmology clinic, which was very successful. We saw a lot of patients. Um, and one of, the, one of the best stories, I think, that we got out of the trip was the story of a little girl. Um, her name was Dejolina. She came into the clinic, and all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went on in the room. You know, this girl was just the most bubbly, smiley, giggly. She would run up to you and, like, grab your legs and just want to hug and play with balloons. And it was amazing. And, but one of the most unique things about Dejolina was that as she was laughing, she was also crying. She was born with a nasolacrimal duct obstruction. And luckily, we had an ophthalmologist with us who was able to take care of that, you know, relatively quickly. And it was just seeing Dejalina be able to laugh without crying just reminded me of, in the Bible, one of God's promises that's always just been really powerful to me, and that He promised to wipe all the tears from our eyes, you know. And it just, I just always thought that that was one of the best examples of God's love for us, and just a, a reminder to me that that's our mission here is to wipe the tears from from the eyes of those who are suffering. So,
8: hi, my name is David. Um, it was actually my third trip this summer to Haiti, and um, I got to see some, Dr. Nelson again showed up. Um, Dr. Scott Nelson is an orthopedic surgeon um, who, who goes into Haiti, and I've had the privilege of going with him a couple of times. But um, this summer, uh, I had the privilege of going into surgery with actually uh, Dean Hadley. Um, it's great to have the leadership of your medical school come. Actually, Dr. Hart came too. Um, Dr. Hadley came, you know, and participated and he was out there leading the charge on picking up trash and, um, yeah, believe it, he was actually, yeah. Um, and and one, one night we were sitting down and, and I asked him, you know, like what he saw as some of the goals of um, being a medical student at Loma Linda are. like what should we get out of being a student? And it really uh, surprised me because if you know Dr. Hadley, he's always showing his pictures um, he's really funny and, and everyone laughs. But actually, you know what he said was, you know, I hope that someday you can pray with your patient. And it really struck me because I had, you know, I hadn't really thought about seriously incorporating that into my, um, into my uh, walk, you know, into my seeing patients. And um, it was uh, it was just this year. I'm you know third year. I had a patient, he came in with new onset diabetes and, you know, totally dehydrated. I was taking the review of systems, found out that this guy had insomnia for the last 40 years and he had been sleeping about two hours a night. And I asked him about it, he said, yeah, I go to bed, you know, I'll wake up in about 20 minutes and I'll start pacing around the house, make sure all the windows are locked, make sure all the doors are locked. And asked him, you know, when did this all start? And he's like, the day I got out of being a Marine. And I'm like, oh, so you were in Vietnam? And he's like, yeah, I, I was in Vietnam. And I was like, what happened in Vietnam? And, he, and he's like, well, I don't know if I want to talk. I'm like, no, tell me what happened in Vietnam. What, what are your nightmares? And he went on to tell me this story. And it, it was the nightmare that always came back to him, that always woke him up. He had two of them. And one of them was, he was in a tunnel, and, and there was this 12-year-old kid, and he was, you know, a Vietnamese boy, and he was trying to get the kid out, and the kid raised a gun at him, and he shot him. And so he had this extreme guilt um, that he had killed this kid, you know. And for the last 40 years of his life, he had been an alcoholic 10 years um, prior he had got separated from his wife. And a lot of these things, you know, are spiritual problems that emanate from a spiritual problem. And the spiritual problem is, is of forgiveness, you know. Is understanding God's forgiveness. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a lie that was put in um, into his mind. Um, or maybe it was him not being able to forgive someone. It's those three things that usually are the spiritual problems that need to be addressed. Forgiving yourself through God, you know. Forgiving someone else. Or... Finding that lie that's been placed there and some sin or something and asking God to bring truth. And so, I'm like, well, do you want to pray about it? And he's like, do you think that'll help? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. Do you? And, and so, I, I sat down with them and I prayed with them. I'm like, God, you know, I just pray um, that, you would, that you would show this man your true forgiveness That you would transform his his heart and his mind. And I'd pray that you'd meet him with this experience, that you would, that you would take the 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 bondage that has been on this man, and that you would just lift it off of him with your power, and that you would just take the chains and just destroy it from this day and anything that came as a consequence of this. And that you would replace your truth in this man's life. And afterwards, he's like, I feel like this weight just lifted off of me. And I had never prayed with a patient before, and I was like, this is awesome. And he's like, wait, I have one more story, and so I won't, I won't tell you that one. But similar thing, you know, like, God addressed it. And the next day I show up, and I'm like, how did you sleep? You know, I don't care about his diabetes. <laughs> and he's like, I've never slept like that in my life. And, and I saw him for a whole week as we were trying to get his diabetes under control, and every day he was sleeping. Every day. Every time, even the afternoon, I would walk in, I'd wake him up from a slumber. <laughs> and I even call, I called him a couple weeks ago, good continuity of care, you know. He gave me his phone number. And um, that's another thing they teach us here at Loma Linda. And, uh, and you know, he's like, I, I sleep six hours a night, and I'm not tired during the day. And you know what, I'm going to try to reestablish a relationship with my wife. You know, and I really think that, you know, this is, this is back here at home and, and we're talking about missions up here, but, but I wouldn't have this kind of heart if, if I hadn't experienced what I experienced over in Haiti. Um, if, I, if I didn't have mentors like Dr. Hadley, Dr. Scott Nelson in my life inspiring me and um, it's it's great to see um, a lot of people here and, and hear your stories and to get inspired also. So thank you. Amen. And now I'm going to turn it over to Sarah.
9: Okay. All right. Um, like David, the Haiti trip impacted me a lot personally as well. Um, after my freshman year, I spent about a month over in Cameroon. And I saw the Adventist Hospital and the state it was in, and it really surprised me to see the lack of... Um, equipment and supplies and resources they had. Uh, For instance, there was one patient who had been there for several months already that the doctor knew had tuberculosis, but because the hospital didn't have an x-ray machine, they couldn't diagnose him with it officially to get the free medication for it. And seeing that kind of a situation really kind of... When I came home, I just didn't really know what to do. I felt helpless. I wanted to do something to help this hospital, but all alone, I didn't really know where to go with that. And talking with my classmates and when we started talking about taking on a hospital and really transforming it, I knew exactly how that was going to transform the lives of the people there. And it made me really excited to be able to join with other people who have the same mission and the same goals and to just kind of have the kind of momentum to do it. Working with my classmates has really changed me to keep that goal. uh, going down to Haiti, just every day, interacting with the patients, seeing the people down there that were helping by this project ha- really has encouraged me. Um, I had something else that I was going to say, but I totally forgot. But <laughs> <laughs> Basically, this has been really um, encouraging for me personally. Also, coming back afterwards, we've been um, getting things together for the project, helping it... Um, some continuity with it. We have a list of long list of things that they need. And Christine and I have been running around trying to find the things that they need. I've never thought about where to find an ultrasound machine or autoclave and things like that before, but this experience has helped me to kind of get the skills I need for future when I wanna go overseas and work in a hospital. And I hope that through this, our classmates can go to different hospitals, especially the hospital in Haiti, and keep it going on, and also different hospitals all over the world, so that we can kind of learn from this and sh- use our skills for the future.
6: So it's it's hard to capture all that's going on in Haiti and with our class in only a few minutes, but. Um, As Sarah was sharing, there's some big needs at the hospital that we're still trying to work on. So the autoclave and the ultrasound machine, if you know any contacts or any available, let us know. But uh, we're working on it together. We've had incredible support through Dr. Hart. And uh, a few weekends ago we were at Oakland Fellowship where we made some excellent contacts with uh, Mr. Daly and all these pieces are starting to come together for this hospital in Haiti. And I see this place, uh, this hospital in Haiti, being a place where our classmates can go long term where we can have different physicians and all sorts of specialties be able to go there and share their talents and their gifts. It's about the body of Christ coming together. Each one of us has a set of talents. Each one of us has a set of gifts and abilities. And it's only as we work together that we're able to fully um, exemplify who Christ is and, and the love that he has for his people. So I just wanted to thank all of you for um, the hard work that you've done um, to go overseas to inspire us as, as the next generation of physicians coming out there. Your stories, um, your experience, your wisdom, um, it excites us. It empowers us to say, you know, we can carry the torch for you. We can pick up where you have, have taken it this far and, and try to take it a little bit further. And so, you know, it's as, us, we, as we join together that I think God is really going to help finish the work through us. And so I just want to thank you and encourage you. Um, we as a class um, have more information at www.lluhaitiproject.org. If you're interested, www.lluhaitiproject.org. You can see videos. You can come up and visit with us afterwards. We'd love to share with you a little bit about what our class is doing there. And uh, may we just continue to work together to carry out God's work.
3: Thank you to all of my colleagues. And we earnestly uh, seek all of your prayers and support uh, as we try to guide the 4,000 students in Loma Linda to fully achieve their dreams. I'd like to close with a saying that with apologies to some of my students in Loma Linda that heard me use it before. It's a satire on what so many of us do as we go through life. It's entitled, $3 worth of God says, I would like to buy just $3 worth of God, please, not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love an alcoholic or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy just $3 worth of God, please. My prayer this evening is that we indeed will grab all we can get and engage the world until He comes. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Hart, and for all the medical students. We really appreciate you coming, and thank you to all the medical students who have been a part of our weekend. We do appreciate that.
10: As far as possible, let's kneel for our benediction. Father in heaven, we are inspired as we see so many people, young people, and people of all ages who are committed to serving you here on this earth, and yet we realize that the task is beyond any of our own abilities. No matter how much any of us do here in this room, it's still ultimately in your hands to finish everything. So we pray that you would use each one each one of us to our full abilities for your service, and that you would take the rest of it into your hands. And I thank you for What we were reminded of from Dr. Hart, especially the point about, I pray that we would not just buy $3 worth of God, that all of us would think about that more carefully in our own lives, that we would have a full experience with God each day so that we can share him in our practices, and our workplaces. And so we thank you for the blessing of this evening and be with us as we go from this place. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen.